could he do that? Are you on Donate What? Charles Darwin. Welcome everybody back into Nerd Sesh. As always, I'm Carson Brabber, and alongside me is Logan Camden. And today we are going to be doing an NBA mock draft. This will be our first and only of this season because we're now only two days away from the draft itself and very excited to see how that all transpires. So what we're going to be doing is we will be rotating picks, acting for the most part as we would if we were in each team's GM's shoes. But if there's a very strong indication that a team is planning on taking a certain player, and that's primarily a factor at the top of the draft, we probably won't just recklessly break the mold there. But obviously trying to fill these needs, trying to get them the best player available, whatever we can do to put their franchise in the best position going forward after this draft. So we're only going to do the first round. Still a lot of picks and a lot of stuff to get through there. So without further ado, Logan, I'll throw it over to you for the first pick. Who are the Detroit Pistons taking? Uh it's pretty obvious it's a foregone conclusion at this point. The Detroit Pistons are going to take Cade Cunningham. And uh, I, I said this in the TikTok I made. Uh, follow us on TikTok. Me and Carson are putting out some bangers on there. Um, I think it's going to open the Pistons championship window. Uh, you have such young talent already deep down this roster in a Killian Hayes, a Isaiah Stewart, a Sadiq Bay. I mean, they are just good role players, good young role players that can grow alongside Cade Cunningham. And the big thing, Carson, you mentioned in our last show is – the big distinction with Cade is we know he's going to be a really solid basketball player. We know he's going to be a star right out of the gate. He's going to do everything at a high level, defensively, offensively. He's just, he's literally the total package. The question is, is he a genuine superstar that can put an entire franchise on his back? And uh, that's really going to be um, what, you know, differentiates between, uh, you know, if the Pistons are just playoff contenders each and every year or uh, if they can win a championship. But we'll see. Uh, it's a foregone conclusion, though. Cade uh, will go with the first pick and he'll be headed to Detroit. And I think that there's some exciting elements to this roster construction because I think that Cade is the prototypical big guard, just dominant pick and roll score playmaker combo. I think he's the most evolved and developed iteration of that that we've seen in really any of these recent drafts like I think he's more impressive than LaMelo or Luca was at the stage that they were when they came out of the draft and you can look at Detroit and say okay obviously they struggled to win games this year but they do have a couple of nice foundational pieces alongside him as far as fit like having the kind of lethal off-ball shooter that Sadiq Bey is to put alongside your pick and roll ball handling point guard for a long time that's a great piece to have having a role man with the kind of interior dominance but also touch and potential to stretch the floor like Isaiah Stewart I think that that's going to be great for Cade obviously they already have a quasi star on the wings and Jeremy Grant and then the only real question is how does he fit with Killian Hayes who they spent their lottery pick on in last year's draft and who was injured for much of the year and I don't know that that's all that much of a concern because I think the thing with Killian is he was probably never going to be a lead guard. I liked Killian a lot, but that super high-end scoring skill set, you know, there were signs of it with the creation off the dribble from the perimeter, the floaters and whatnot, but I think that he can still survive in a role where it's about his facilitating because that's what he does best and then what he can contribute on the defensive end and if he can really figure out that shot, he can play off ball more. I still think he is a point guard, and I think Kate is a point guard as well or a primary ball handler, however you want to classify that. So there might be a bit of a clash there. Maybe Killian is going to have his minutes staggered where he runs with the bench more. But 
either way, I just think you take the best guy on your board, you take the guy with the franchise-changing potential, and all indications are that for the Pistons, that's Cade. I was going to ask, like, do you would you explore maybe starting both the guys, Killian at the one, Cade at the two, just because of how tall he is? Yeah, I think that that's totally possible. I wouldn't be surprised if they do that at all because you want to get both these guys time and opportunity to play, and you need to see if they can coexist in a low-stakes scenario like this season where, again, winning games is not of the utmost importance. And I don't know who else is really pushing for that starting spot in the Detroit backcourt. Maybe there's a decent veteran who you might give the nod to, but nobody here are going to be losing sleep over sending to the bench, I don't think. So, interested in seeing how that dynamic plays out, but I think we both agree Kate is a player with franchise-altering potential, and Detroit is a team in need of a player like that. So, all indications are that he will go there. And there's very strong reporting now at this point and lots of rumors about who's going to go at number two as well. And it's not a guy who either of us had in the top two of our respective big boards, but Jalen Green really seems like he's going to be headed to Houston. And for me, as an Evan Mobley lover, thinking that he is the best prospect in this draft, this is not what I would do if this pick were in my hands, but they're going to. And I don't think that I can crush them for it because... Jalen Green has the potential to be a transcendent scorer, one of the best in basketball. And I do think there's a couple interesting things to look at as far as his fit in Houston because he's coming into a situation where there's a couple of other guys who are going to expect to have the ball in their hands a lot. For example, Kevin Porter Jr., who just had this phenomenal up-and-coming season and maybe the efficiency wasn't always there, but there were some dynamic moments from him with the ball in his hands as a scorer, as a facilitator. I don't know how Jalen coexists with him, I think that Jalen can do a little bit off the ball. I mean, he can shoot that thing. He's an explosive cutter, but he is a guy who's going to need to have the ball in his hands for the most part when he's creating, and I just think he has to be a higher priority than KPJ there. Personally, I don't think KPJ is like a star long-term. I think he is probably a great sixth man, and so I think that he could still thrive in that role. And then the other guy who's really going to be competing there is John Wall. I don't know what happens with John Wall. I... Don't know if it's good for Jalen Green to have him there dominating touches, especially if he's in a score-first mindset. That is a slightly concerning dynamic to me, but I do think Christian Wood will be the best thing for his development because having the kind of role man who can athletically roll to the bucket, dominate there, be a lob threat, having a guy who can pop out to the perimeter and force teams to respect you from there, that is just the ideal partner to have if you're trying to develop Jalen Green's game because the scoring is there. Like, he could score 20 a game very early in his NBA career. It's the playmaking that is going to be the key swing skill for him, and I think that he has the tools to be good there, but no better situation for him than to have a role man who is going to reward him for facilitating and for getting him the ball in the right spots. And I think that that's probably the most exciting part about this Houston fit for me because other than that it's mostly a clean slate or he's competing with ball handlers who are already there yeah and i think there's a few more other guys uh deep down in this roster some of our nerd sesh favorites uh, that i'm gonna like to see play alongside Jalen green uh kenyon martin jr off the roll that's gonna be fun watching uh green throw lobs to him uh jay sean tate uh if we see green uh develop those playmaking abilities spotting him up in the corner off the wing off the catch he's a really nice catch and shooter um and I think the John Wall thing is the swing, uh, the swing, I guess, player in this scenario is one, can they coexist? We've seen Wall struggle to adapt to other uh, dominant on-ball players. 
and I think it's just going to be like, I don't know, man. Uh, we, we keep saying this about guys like John Wall, but he's going to have to commit to a role. Like, I think he should just – like, just – it's Jalen Green's team now. Just let him take over. Try to play a little more off ball. Don't try to dominate the rock as much. And just play team basketball, man, because I like – this roster, it's not like the Rockets are just talentless. It's just like they've just got a lot of puzzle pieces that don't really fit together. Like, I think this can yeah. be a really fun team to watch. Guys are just going to have to commit to roles. Absolutely. And they need shooting here, I think, is a big thing that stands out because K.J. Martin, Jay Sean Tate, those are guys who still need to fully develop those shots. John Wall, obviously, is not a perimeter sharpshooter. And so for Jalen... If you're throwing him in a situation where the spacing is crowded for a guy like him who has the tools to be so dominant getting downhill, either way, just a great isolation creator, that could hinder his development a little bit because the Rockets' offense was not the prettiest last year, even if I do like some of those individual guys, as you said. Okay, so now I think we are on to part three of a draft tier that many people view as being separate from the rest. And this third pick belongs to the Cleveland Cavaliers. Logan, who do you have them taking? Yeah, in a surprise turn of events here, uh, I was not expecting to be in the scenario at the start of this podcast. The Cleveland Cavaliers are going to be able to take Evan Mobley. Um, uh, props to you, Carson, for keeping it semi-realistic, although I know you were in pain over there uh, at having mm -hmm. passed up on Evan Mobley. Um, if the Cavs land Mobley, this they're the biggest winners of this draft. He is the perfect piece to come into this roster. I mean, you already have Garland, you already have Sexton, just the pick and roll is going to be so much fun. The pick and pop, like this is all Cleveland needs is a big guy to go alongside these two ball dominant guards. And honestly, Mobley might be the guy that mends the, I'm not going to say mends the relationship, but just makes it work. Like, I don't know if Garland and Sexton could coexist, but with a guy like him, like, I just think he could, he could be the glue that keeps it together. Um, Garland is the piece, like you said, Carson, you made a video on him um, a while back. He is the piece long-term if you're going to choose between the two, but I, I just think he can make everything work here. Spacing is going to be a little wonky, I think. Um, if they bring back Jared Allen, if they bring back Kevin Love, um, Tari and Prince is going to be getting big minutes. So I think spacing is going to be a little weird, and the Cavs are one of the worst three-point shooting teams in the league last season. That's my really only concern with this fit, but um, – defensively he is going to be an anchor for this Cavaliers uh defense from day one and maybe this will get some of these other guys on this roster a Prince a um a Colin Sexton a Isaac Okoro to really lock down and engage defensively like he raises mm -hmm. their defensive ceiling so much um and then just I don't know he's he is a franchise changing building block and I just think that uh no matter what the Cavaliers are thinking between Garland and Sexton long-term, you have got your guard and your big man for the future. Um, so I don't know, man. I think I think if the Cavs get Mobley, they're the biggest winners of this draft, point blank. I completely agree because I don't think that they are dying to draft another guard at the top of this class. Like out of kind of necessity based on who was on the board, that's been their move in a couple of instances as of late, obviously getting Sexton and getting Garland. And it remains to be seen, I guess, if this is going to be their long-term backcourt. But personally, I don't really have issues with it being their long-term backcourt. I think as long as you clearly identify the roles where Garland is the facilitating point guard, I think he's certainly the better all-around player or at least has the longer high-term or the higher long-term ceiling. And then you let Sexton just be that electric scoring two guard. I've said before that I think he could even be best served as a sixth man. I don't think you need to relegate him to that. Like he's scored 24 points a game in his 22-year-old season. He's a really gifted basketball player. But 
I think that not having to throw another guy into the mix to compete with them there is certainly a win. And I feel a little bit bad for Jared Allen because he just had a great season. His contract, as you mentioned, is expiring. I don't think they bring him back. Evan Mobley is ready to start right off the bounce and make a two-way impact. And so I just think Jared Allen kind of fades out of the picture there, which is unfortunate because he did good work this year. But yeah, that long-term center, that interior difference maker on both ends, that's exactly what they need. A guy who could potentially space the floor as well to solve some of those shooting issues that, as you mentioned, really plagued them throughout this past year. I think that this would be just a phenomenal win all around for the Cavs. So now we're on to the fourth pick. And this one to me seems to be another no-brainer. It's the Toronto Raptors. I think that they're going to take Jalen Suggs. I do wonder just a bit in my mind about them looking for a foundational wing, like a Barnes or a Kaminga. But all signs seem to point to this. Suggs is the consensus fourth best prospect, and very rarely do you see him still on the board and the Raptors not taking him in this spot. I think that with Kyle Lowry possibly out the door or at the very least in the twilight of his career, you bring in that next sort of prototypical Raptors guard, a guy who brings it all to the table, who will compete all around, have a playmaking impact, have a scoring impact. I think this would be a great win for the Raptors. I think he would be a guy who could possibly develop even more and add to his ceiling because Lord knows that the Raptors get the most out of guys. And if you can really unlock the shot from him, then that makes him all the more impressive as a prospect. So I think that his fit alongside Van Vliet will be a little interesting because I think they're both guys who want to have the ball in their hands. Maybe you play Suggs off ball initially. I don't love that because I think you're taking away his greatest skill set, which is his pick and roll facilitating. So there are things to be worked out there, but I just think you sit here and you take the best eye on the board and that's Jalen Suggs. Yeah, I think he's the best guy on the board as well. Um, and I think that's a big thing, his fit alongside Van Vliet. I I don't know, man. I don't want them to expect too much out of Suggs off rip. Like, And, and I want to ask, like, what do you think they – if you were the Raptors, like, who would you rather put the keys of the offense in from day one with Suggs? Like, are you going Van Vliet, or would you want it to be Jalen running the show? I just think it's about what mindset they're in as a team because presumably if they don't move Siakam – they're still going to be trying to compete and win games. And if that's the case, I don't know how you can say, Jalen Suggs, we think you're better right now than Fred Van Vliet. Fred may be flawed, but the dude can run offense at a pretty darn high level. Do you have any debate with any uh, with anybody else on the board? Like, uh, why not go with a guy like Scotty Barnes? I just think he's probably a less refined all-around player at this point, but... I certainly thought about it because we know what the Raptors have been able to do developing wings and that kind of just defensive game wrecker with some offensive upside. Very intriguing to me. I think that that would make sense, but at the end of the day, I'm kind of going with the consensus there, which seems to be Suggs is the better of the prospects. He's the most likely pick here. And that's my opinion as well. I think he's further along in his development, but I did consider it indeed. All right. So let's move on to the fifth pick here and it belongs to famed great drafters, the Orlando Magic. Logan, how are they going to mess it up this time? <laughs> um, I, I'm between like three prospects, and I think they're like the consensus next three guys here on the board. Um, I'm I'm debating right now between a guy like Scotty Barnes, Jonathan Kaminga, and James Booknight. And 
I don't know. The thing with Barnes and Kuminga is just the Magic have invested so much in players stylistically similar to them already in these last few drafts. You know, you have a guy like Jonathan Isaac, you have Chuma Okiki, like uh, Mo Bamba, Wendell Carter, like all of these guys are pretty good defensive assets who don't really space the floor. And so bringing in Kuminga and Barnes, I just question, I don't know, is that, are they, are they going to fit really well alongside these other pieces? Is there going to be enough floor spacing in general? Personally, if you want to go all in on defense, I'd probably go Scotty Barnes. Um, but I'm really thinking about taking a guy like James Booknight. I don't know, man. All three of these guys kind of clash with the rest of this roster because Booknight is going to take touches from a Markel Fultz and a Cole Anthony and other two young guys that you have. So I think the picture is between Barnes and Kuminga. I'm going to go with Barnes just because I like how a little further along he is in his development. And I think I just think Barnes is a guy who can really fit in everywhere. And at his peak, at his peak. If Isaac and Barnes continue and continue to grow on the defensive side, that is a horrifying mm -hmm. that is a horrifying defensive lineup. They can switch anybody on anybody. All of these guys are menaces on transition on both ends. Like it's scary if all these guys get to their defensive peak and they're just freaky athletically. Um and if Fultz and Cole Anthony come along, then you don't really even have to worry about scoring, just guys knocking down open catch-and-shoot threes. Um, and Scotty Barnes, I don't know, he fits the timetable as well. I thought about going book night because his team needs scoring, but I think long-term the Magic should invest in, I guess, this defensive identity that they're going for. And uh, Barnes will do that for you while bringing upside as potentially a star one day. I really thought you were going to go book night for a second there based on the way you were talking, and that would have taken me by surprise. I think that this is the right pick. I think that the Magic should be in best player available mode because you talked about the potential points of conflict everywhere. But the true foundational pieces who I would not be willing to draft a possible replacement for or at least say, okay, this is the best guy out there. We'll try to find a way to fit him with Markel Fultz or Jonathan Isaac on the wing or whatever. I don't think there's a player on the Magic who I would sacrifice taking the best player on the board for. So... I think that Scotty is the best player on the board. I think that this is the right pick. I do wonder if they would be tantalized by somebody with a little bit more of that lead ball handler score offensive upside. I just don't know if that guy is on the board at this point because Booknight, as great as he is as a bucket, the playmaking still has a ways to go and you need to have that combo for me to really trust you and say, okay, you have the keys to this offense going forward. Go make some magic happen. Pun not intended. And so I think that I think that Scotty makes sense here. And him and Jonathan Isaac on the wings would be interesting. It would be very nice for their sake if he could figure out a shot because Lord knows there have been years of magic guys giving you real plus defense on the wings. But if the offensive punch isn't there, then it just hasn't mattered for them. But I think that they're in best player available mode. And so I think that that makes sense. All right. I'm now picking for the Oklahoma City Thunder at six. And I will pick for the Thunder twice more in this podcast because I have all the even picks and they have all the even picks at 6, 16, and 18. I had a little bit of a debate here. In fact, a good bit of a debate in my head between Jonathan Kaminga and James Booknight for this one. I just think with the amount of picks that they do have, the amount of cracks they will have to get good players throughout these next few drafts, I think they should probably take big swings when they have a pick this high. And I think Booknight is so much further along in his development as a scorer, but he's also two years older. And I just think the 
incredible athletic gifts of Kaminga, although Book Knight's certainly a good athlete as well, but he doesn't have the size of Kaminga. I don't know that he has the same full court end-to-end burst that makes Kaminga so good in transition. I think those probably give him a bit of a higher ceiling along with the moments that you see from him in isolation where the handle's pretty impressive for his size. It's just about the reliability of that shot, the decision-making, and I am certainly terrified of the Thunder adding another wing who can't shoot to their roster right now because if you watch the Thunder last year, Lou Dort, Darius Baisley, there's a lot of moments where you're like, those guys are so close to being very good, especially Lou. Lou's already pretty good, but Darius looks really good in moments as well, but then you see, okay, 33% from deep, 29% from deep, and that just shoots this offense right in the foot. It was a pretty painful offense to watch a lot last year, especially when SJ wasn't out there. So that scares me, throwing another guy like that in the rotation. At the same time, I don't think they even care. I don't think Sam Presti has any intention to even play basketball this year. I think he's just going to have the guys practice all year, put them in their development programs, and that'll be that. So assuming they do trust their player development, I think that Kaminga is probably the pick. And this is another situation to me where it's just the guy who you believe in the most. And you bet on high ceilings because... There's not many pieces here. I'm like, I don't want to infringe upon their minutes. SGA, of course. But I think SGA can coexist alongside a lot of different people because we've seen him be a primary ball handler like he was last year. We saw him as a secondary, sometimes tertiary ball handler the year before that. And he was great in both roles. He can be a good facilitator, but he can also do some of that quick hitting scoring damage in a more off-ball role. So I think they take Kaminga here. Yeah, and I think Kaminga's the right piece to go to Oklahoma City. And I want to clarify because I feel like I've been a little rough on Kuminga in our last two pods. Um, I do want to reiterate, like for a guy whose skill set really isn't that refined, whose game is mostly predicated on athleticism and just being physical and getting to the rack, like pretty impressive to put up damn near, you know, 16, 17 points per game when your skill set isn't refined. So while I don't really like where he's at. I do think that, I mean, if if they build him up, he is going to be a beast. And I just think timetable-wise, like you said, you got Poku, you got SGA, you got all these other young guys. Take a big swing, see what happens. You got a ton of picks here in the future. Um, I like the pick, but at number seven, you have left me on the table with a really good player who is going to benefit the Golden State Warriors bench very well immediately, and that's James Booknight. Now, I think the big dilemma here about Booknight going to Golden State would just be taking minutes away from Jordan Poole, but I don't care. Now you've got two guys who, in isolation with a screen, can just go out there and get a bucket. And I mean, at times, it's just what the Warriors needed, man. Damn, it was hard without Steph there out there on the floor. You got Nico Mannion falling all over his feet. You've got just just atrocious basketball without Steph on the floor. Um, Booknight, to me, is a, I think he's like the last guy to me, like with the cutoff point that has not like star potential, but he's just a guy that he's the final guy here um, available that where I want to put in the ball in his hands. And I know he can go out there and serve me a bucket. He's an athletic freak. He's got a, he's got a perimeter shot. And I don't know, man, I just think he's going to be really versatile. You can play him alongside Steph. You can play him with the bench alongside pool and he can play right now. And that's the biggest mm-hmm. thing for golden state. They need guys who can play right now. That's why if Kuminga was here, I probably wouldn't have gone with him. I'm glad you took him off the board. But Booknight is the most NBA-ready guy, I think, on the board right now who can contribute to a rotation and winning basketball, and that's what the Warriors need. So uh, Booknight is my guy. This is interesting because it seems to me that 
if the Warriors do sit and pick at 7-14, and 14, and they have been aggressively trying to shop those picks apparently, but they haven't found a suitor yet, and we're only two days out from the draft, so who knows if that'll happen. Right now, we run on the assumption that they are still going to sit here and pick. Book Knight does seem to be the most intriguing candidate, the guy who most people are talking about possibly going in this spot. I think it's interesting all around because certainly with Book Knight, you get a phenomenal scoring skill set. You get a guy who is ready to do it right now. And if you look at the Warriors last year, they were just starved for other creators. They were starved for players who would make it so defenses can't just say, okay, we will trap Steph here. We're going to just ignore this guy off the ball because we don't believe that you can either make us pay off the bounce or really just reliably knock down a catch-and-shoot triple. And that is the only thing that I wonder about at all with Book Knight because I do think he is a good shooter, and I think that particularly off the bounce, he will excel there. So maybe I'm nitpicking here because I don't think this is a long-term concern, but he did shoot 29% from deep this year. I think his shot is going to translate. I think he's going to be a good shooter, but that is the only thing that I guess you could point out and say that's why this could not be a home run because you just need guys who can knock down those shots on the wing and play defense. I think the Book Knight should be a perfectly competent defender, so that's why I would maybe consider a guy like Moses Moody. At the same time, I think Book Knight is further along and can have more of an impact where he's going to win you a game because he can get you 25, he can get you 30 like that. I do feel a bit bad for Jordan Poole because I really like what he's grown into as that dynamic sixth man. I think Book Knight's going to take that role from him. But you know what? It can't hurt for them to have more shot creators because last year would have been amazing if they had just one really reliable guy on top of Steph and they never really did. So... I'm going to give my second pick for the Magic already here at eight. And I am just in best player available mode here. Because as I said, I don't think they have any foundational pieces except for now Scotty Barnes, who they took at five under your control. So I'm going to go with Moses Moody here. I think that maybe he doesn't have the crazy high superstar ceiling, but God, is he going to be a good player in my opinion. A guy who can shoot the hell out of the ball, who can defend at a high level with a seven-foot wingspan, who has a bit of an in-between game. I would say actually a good bit of an in-between game. It's more about the game around the rim and getting all the way downhill and having those easy opportunities, but he can make tough shots in the mid-range. I don't think that that needs to be his primary role, though. I just think you are going to get a guy who can fill that 3 and D role at a really high level, and he's young. He still has room for growth. I'm just a huge fan of his game. I believe in his floor, and I'm in best player available mode, so that's what I'm taking for the Magic. No, I think that's a really good pick. Moody is just a guy that you can put in any rotation immediately, and like you said, Carson, he's got upside. He can create a little bit off the dribble. He's got athleticism. Damn right. Moses Moody is just going to be a good basketball player, and <laughs> it's something that the Orlando Magic have been starved for for a while. So you know what? Don't swing for the fences. You ain't got to hit a home run. Take your single, take your double, and uh, and roll with it. I like the Moody pick. Um, I am going to be drafting for uh, my very own Sacramento Kings here at nine, and I want to say I have heard a bunch of rumors about them taking Franz Wagner, and I'm going to throw my shoe through my TV if that happens on draft night because I don't like the kid, and I don't really think he's got that high of a ceiling. Um, looking at how the Kings are currently constructed, like I don't really see any other need to go anywhere else than just best player available, like you said. Um, it's not like we have a championship winner right here. The only thing I would say for the Kings is just don't take a guard. There are some guards I like on the board, like a Davion Mitchell, um, 
you know, a Trey Mann, some of these guys, I expect them to go a little later, even a Josh Giddy. Um, so I'm going to go with the best player on my board. Um, and that's Alperin Sengun. Uh, he's mm-hmm. just, I, he can do a lot of things. He can also take Marvin Bagley's minutes and we can finally move on from that piece of trash. Uh, Bagley had his flashes last year, but whatever, man, I'm, I'm done with him. Um, Sengun is just going to open up so many things to this Kings offense. We can dump it down to him in the post. He is going to get reliable post offense. He's going to create for the other guys around here, maybe allowing them to use Halliburton as more off ball. Fox is more off ball, open up stuff for healed and Barnes. Like I just think Sengun opens up a lot of stuff for guys on the perimeter with his playmaking. And uh, he's going to have a reliable post game because that's what he's most developed in. He brings upside as a rim protector, as a rim runner, like we said. And I don't know, like, I think he has, if his shot comes along, if he is a competent 35% shooter from behind the arc, and he proves that he is not just stonewalled in his feet and he's kind of agile and a switchable defender. Uh, Sengun is going to have a place in this league, but I think he's got real star upside with his post game and playmaking. This is an interesting pick. And I will say, Logan, we both said our piece about Franz and why we're not his biggest fan on last episode with Carvel when we answered the biggest questions in the NBA draft in our eyes. Go ahead and check that episode out if you haven't already. I do understand the desire to add that high-impact wing. Do I think Franz is that guy? Maybe not, but I do understand seeing that as a position of need. I agree with you. Don't take a guard. You have your foundational guards. That backcourt to me is in as good of a position as any young backcourt in basketball. So I like the Sengun pick. I think it's interesting. The only thing I will say, Logan, is... Some of the concerns that have plagued Marvin Bagley could be the exact same concerns that plague and frustrate you with Sengun, where he can't be a traditional defensive five, but also he can't really guard fours. Offensively, it's a lot of the post scoring. I think he has the tools to be a floor spacer, but so did Marvin Bagley, who shot like 40% from deep on a limited sample size in college. I like Sengun, but I also liked Marvin Bagley a lot, and I thought he was going to be a really good offensive NBA player. So... I think that this is a fine pick. I think that he's certainly one of the better players on the board, but I do think that there is a little bit of cause for concern because of some of the reasons I just mentioned. Any counter from you? Um, if I was going to go with a traditional guy that I don't think is going to bust, I just think Sengun is a higher-end ceiling. I probably would have went with Kispert just because he's a long-term mm. replacement with Barnes. We can move off of a contract, and we got a knockdown shooter. Um. No, I mean, the concerns you raise are pretty valid. I hope it doesn't happen, um, and we <laughs> once again swing and miss on another draft pick, but uh, that's just the Sacramento way, baby. Yeah, it is what it is. All right, so at the 10th pick, we now have the Memphis Grizzlies, and I think before I make my pick here, we should discuss the trade that went down yesterday because it was something of a blockbuster between them and the Pelicans. The trade was Steven Adams, Eric Bledsoe, and two first-round picks, this one and then a Lakers first-rounder next year that is top 10 protected in exchange for Jonas Valanciunas and the 17th pick. I will say, I think this is a huge win for the Pelicans. I would straight up rather have Jonas Valanciunas on my team than both Steven Adams and Eric Bledsoe. To me, Eric Bledsoe, I just have no interest in having on my team in almost any situation these days, especially not New Orleans or Memphis, where spacing can be kind of a concern in both areas where your primary star player wants to attack the paint and he infringes upon that. Valanciunas obviously is a paint scorer as well, but he's so damn good at it that I don't really mind the lack of spacing. And 
he costs $21 million less and expires after this year. So if they don't want him as a long-term piece, you can let him walk. And right now, they have real spending money, $36 million if they leave Lonzo Ball and Josh Hart unsigned. You can go out there and get a big impact guy. I don't know. Call me crazy. I don't think I've heard this rumored anywhere, but it's very intriguing. Kyle Lowry to New Orleans, man. That would be a lot of fun. What? You don't like that? Oh my goodness, I love that. Add some shooting, add some Lonzo Ball plus high-end scoring value to this team. Get a veteran leader in there with playoff experience to help them take the leap. A guy who can impact the game in so many phases. Why not? They're gearing up to do something. Dude, Kyle Lowry's booty is going to grow like two times the size, bro. He's going to be grubbing on that good New Orleans food, man, that soul food down there, Carson. Okay, good point, actually. Could be problematic. <laughs> um, no, I like the fit, and you get a, um, you know, a little... Uh, a little family reunion between him and uh, Valanciunas. Uh, no, I, I, yeah, for the for the Pelicans, I like that move too. You know, the floor spacing that you're going to have alongside Zion. Um, so, do you like? I want to clarify. Then, do you not like it for the Grizzlies? I, I like it because they're getting younger. I hate the contracts, but I don't like it for the Grizzlies. You add picks, moving up seven spots in this draft is nice. Next year, I hope you enjoy drafting 28th, 29th, or 30th with that Lakers pick. Like, that's really not that big of a deal. And we know the Grizzlies can draft and develop talent with those later picks, but depth is not the concern. They have the depth. I need that third star from them, that third real difference maker. And I just don't know what the hell you do with Eric Bledsoe. So to me, when you already have the depth, those picks only do so much. I don't like it. I thought Valanciunas was pivotal to their success this year, was at times their second best player, and a lot of times with Triple J out of the picture and then just not really being his best self when he was out there for the most part. So I don't really like this at all for them. I mean, sometimes he was their best player. Sometimes he was their only reliable offense mm -hmm. sometimes. Yeah, so that's concerning, I think, for them. But they do now have this 10th pick, which is a fun piece to play with. And I am very conflicted about what to do with this. So I'll walk you through my thinking here. I think there are a lot of options. I think that the first thing you look at is adding a real nice quality 3 and D wing. And I think that that's something that every team always needs, especially given that the Grizzlies were not a high-volume shooting team last year. They have guys who can shoot the ball, but it was not a primary focus of their offense, partly because of John Valanciunas just relentlessly attacking the paint. Having a big difference maker there would be nice. I briefly considered Trey Murphy. I think this is a bit of a reach for him there. I am thinking about Davion Mitchell because he brings you high defensive intensity, which is something that is very valued in Memphis where they pride themselves on that defense. He brings you high-level shot making. He brings you some facilitating. I think he could operate off the catch. I don't think he's a true point guard. To me, he's more of a combo guard. So I do think he could coexist alongside John Morant. It would be maybe a bit of a challenge, but I think it's possible. He coexisted alongside Jared Butler, and so he can do it with another point guard, effectively, in my opinion. I'm thinking about Corey Kispert. I don't think it's justified. The shooting value is great. I would like to have a higher-impact two-way wing if I'm going to go there. And then the other position that I'm really thinking about here is a center. Because I do think that's a long-term need. Triple J cannot and will not ever be a five. And unless you really like Steven Adams beyond this contract, you're going to have to fill that hole at some point. I'm thinking about Kai Jones. I am because I think for Memphis, as I've said, 
Adding good players has never been a problem. Adding players with the potential to be great has been the area in which they have been lacking to a certain extent. Adding that third real long-term star piece alongside Jaw and Triple J. Maybe even a guy who could be better than Triple J as a fellow big. This is really tough. I'm very conflicted here. Very conflicted indeed. Because I think that Adams is good enough to hold down that spot for a couple years. I love the long-term ceiling of Kai Jones. But I think the Grizzlies would probably be more inclined to a guy who can contribute now because that is the mind space that they're probably in as a team. They're a playoff caliber team. So I'm going to take Davion here. I think this is interesting. I've seen a lot of Kispert. I understand that because of the easy fit on the wings. I think, I don't know how I feel about that actually because taking the ball out of Jaws' hands is tough because he can't really do much off ball at all. Logan, give me some counsel here. What would you do between Davion and Kai? Well, me sitting around here as the Charlotte Hornets, I'm really hoping you take Davion Mitchell because Kai's next on my board is like a building block for LaMelo Ball. So I think the best player on board, and I know you, you want to take Kai Jones because Kai has star potential. And you know that. And you know he can coexist alongside Triple J mm -hmm. as a five. He's got the shot. Just bite it, man. Take Kai. I'm going to do it. I'm taking Kai Jones. I do think long-term that fit can work. You could have two of the most switchable bigs if Triple J really maximizes his value in basketball. Two guys who could both space the floor. And Kai can also be that dynamic role man. He can handle. He can do it off the bounce, as can Triple J. They would have the big men of the future to put alongside their dynamic, athletic point guard. That's what I'm going to do. If I were in Memphis making decisions, I would be all about big swings right now because as I've said, we know they have good players top to bottoms. We know what Dylan Brooks can do. We know what they have in this bench with the Grayson Allens and the Desmond Baines and the Anthony Meltons of the world, all these good impact players. Give me a chance at a great player and they're not going to have many more of them. Like the 10th pick, is probably going to be the highest they pick in a while. And given how much I believe in Kai Jones, I'm going to take that gamble there. No, I love the pick. Um, again, as the Hornets, I was hoping you might mess that one up. But uh, no, that, that was the right call. Um, I just, just Davion just has nowhere near the ceiling that Kai has. Um, on that, you have left me in a very precarious position as the Hornets here, Carson, because I was banking on taking Kai because I wanted a star to put alongside LaMelo. I don't really think that off-ball superstar is here. Like, the next guy that is on my board with, I think, genuine star potential is probably a Josh Giddy, a, like, a, like a Trey Mann, a Cam Thomas, and I think it's a little early for all those guys. So I'm going to go with a guy that is just going to be a good basketball player. I'm debating between Murphy and Kispert right now. I do think it's a little early for both of them, again, just because they don't have that upside but they're going to be good players alongside LaMelo for a while. Can be a, You can replace Hayward when his contract's up, or if they progress, you can move on from him. Do I want Murphy or Kispert? I'm going to take Trey Murphy just because I think he has a little wow. more... I think he has a little more defensive upside. Kispert, I think, is the wettest dude in this class, but uh, Murphy, to me, just has more defensive upside with his longer wingspan, with his frame... And he just showed it at Virginia, man. That guy's a hound defensively. Everybody needs the three and deers, and uh, I think he can be a contributing winner. I'm oh, I'm mad you got Kai though, because that was my guy here, dude. And Kai would have been perfect in Charlotte because what they need long term 
is that really high-impact role man, that two-way center, because props to Mr. Zeller and the effort that he puts forward right now. But one through four, they have talented young guys. It's just filling out that five. So sorry that I did that to you, but you know what? It is what it is. A lot of these guys need bigs, including the team I'm picking for right now at 12, and that is the San Antonio Spurs. I think that Kai or Sengun would have both been good fits here. Neither of them are on the board. And so I think I'm just going to go best player available here because I think you can look at this roster and say they could use a big. I don't think the guy is there. They could use more 3 and D on the wings. They could even use a point guard because I respect DeJounte Murray. I like what he does. And I know that they have him locked up for a few more years still. He has moments where I love what he does. He just needs to reliably extend that range beyond the arc because the mid-range game is there for him at times. But without the floor spacing, I don't know if he's the kind of guy where I would say, okay, I'm not willing to draft a potential replacement again. So what I'm going to do here is I'm going to take Davion Mitchell. I think that you are just building a roster of young guys now with DeRozan, Rudy Gay, Patty Mills all expired this year. And I don't know if they're all going to be out the door, but there's the potential that they all are. And so I'll take a guy who brings actually a unique level of experience, winning at the highest level there, that two-way impact, the playmaking, the scoring. I think that the backcourt is getting a little crowded, actually, because Derek White is still there. DeJounte is still there. Lonnie Walker is there. On the wings, you have Johnson and Vassell. Am I going to change my second pick in a row from Davion to somebody else? I don't know. I, Kispert is interesting here because of how seamlessly he fits in anywhere just with that shooting. I like Davion more, but I think this backcourt's too crowded. I'm changing again. I'm going to take Corey Kispert. You've done it to me again, Carson. Yes! God, I'm getting out-GM'd right now in a mock draft. <laughs> Kispert was my next pit for the Pacers, um, and I think it's a pretty realistic pit because I've watched, uh, I've seen some of the guys the Pacers are working out. It seems like they really like Kispert. Uh, I don't really think, I, I have a spot where Davion works in a little bit. I think this is a little, I don't expect him to slip this far, but again, like Carville said on our show, like, I don't know, like, a, I don't know what the market is for a six-foot point guard. You know what I mean? Like, he could in this league of guard depth, uh, could drop a little bit. So now uh, you've put the vice on me, Carson, and now I've got to find a replacement. Um, the Pacers are in a weird spot. I definitely think they need another star, and I think there's a guy, like I said, with a little bit of that star potential and maybe a Josh Giddy. I don't really think he works here because I don't really want him taking the ball out of Brogdon's hands or Levert's hands. Like, they're still good creators. So I think the guy I'm going to go with This is a weird pick, and I wonder if I'm taking him a little too early. I'm just going to take a guy that I know can play basketball. I'm between two dudes here. I'm between, like, Chris Duarte and Jalen Johnson. I'm thinking about Duarte just because I know he can come in immediately, maybe put the Pacers back into playoff contention, and he's just a guy who kind of fits their mold. Um, the other guy I'm debating is Jalen Johnson, only because I do think he has that star upside. I think it's a little early for him, and I think that that's a position of need for the Pacers. I'm going to take Duarte because he's a guy who can play basketball right now, but uh, Johnson has that, has that upside, but no, I want a guy who knows how to play ball and can help the Pacers contend now. I'm going to take Duarte. I like it. I am intrigued by Jalen Johnson still. 
I don't know if he is the most seamless fit ever with what Indiana is doing. And maybe at some point they just blow this whole thing up because the ceiling is somewhat limited still. But I like that. I like Duarte. You add just more quality shooting on the wings. And yes, the Pacers already have great depth. But you know what? Why not make it even a little bit better? And I think that that's a quality pickup. This is officially a dream scenario for me, Logan. A dream scenario. Because at 14, picking for the Warriors... I get to take Davion Mitchell. I almost <laughs> took him with my last two picks. You may remember. It was just moments ago. I think this is ideal. Another creator, an impact defender, a guy who can shoot the hell out of the ball. Like, yeah, he hasn't been great from the line. 64% last year, I believe, but he was 45% from deep. I believe in that shot translating. A guy who can play make, who can put the ball in his hands and stretches and say, okay, go find Steph in his spots, or you can say, go get a bucket, or you can say, go play off ball, catch and shoot here. I think this is a dream scenario. I probably would have considered him at seven. He can play right now, be an impact guy, was one of the best defenders in college basketball, point blank. So many things that the Warriors just need as they continue to firm up this rotation. And if things play out like this for them in the draft, I don't think you could complain about not getting a star guy with those picks, as in not swapping them for a current NBA star, because dude, those are guys who can play right now, who can get you buckets, who can impact the game in multiple phases, and I would love that for them. Um, so I do want to ask, like, as you as a Warriors fan, uh, with this mock, we've gone through their two picks. If they come away with Mitchell and Book Knight, how are you feeling going into next season? I'm thrilled. I'm thinking we can contend. I'm thinking we got two of the ideal fits in this draft. I think Duarte would have been another good pick at 14. I'm just a little bit higher on Davion because of the two-way ability, and I like what he can do on ball and as a facilitator a little bit more. I think Duarte is going to be a really good all-around player, but this is a dream scenario to me. I could not be happier. Maybe if we had gotten Moses Moody at either of those picks, but he wasn't going to fall to 14 with me on the board because I would have taken him for any team, 8, 10, or 12. And uh, yeah, I just think this is a fantastic scenario for them. All right, so the lottery is now over and done with. We are transitioning now to the 15th pick held by the Washington Wizards, Logan what do you have them doing? This is one of the weirdest spots in the draft. Um, I don't really want to send anyone to the hellhole that is Washington, D.C. I'm going to be honest. Uh, I feel bad for anyone here. There are three guys that I'm really debating between, and they uh, the top two have star potential. Jalen Johnson, again, I don't really think that works here. You have a guy like Hachimura, you don't really, and Bertans, you don't need another four. Um, I'm thinking about Josh Giddy, but you have Westbrook and Beal, and you kind of drafted last year in Denny Avdija, a guy who's already really similar to Giddy. So, I am banishing Cam Thomas off to Washington, D.C. He's the only real logical piece that I think makes sense. He's a guy that you can put in that six-man role from day one, put the ball in his hands, let him go and get buckets. I'm not a big Cam Thomas guy, but... I don't know. You and you and Carvel seem to like his game a lot. Uh, an isolation mid-range scorer, um, a perimeter shot creator as well. And if he's good enough, if he refines his game, and the Wizards are high enough on this kid, maybe he's a guy that you can just sub in for Beal. I'm not saying this kid's going to be Bradley Beal, but he's a bucket. And if they move on from Beal, you're going to need to get buckets. And there's not a whole lot of guys in this draft that are left here uh, that score better than Cam Thomas in volume. Well. It sucks to see you take him from me and then talk about how you're not as huge of a fan as his. I would have loved Cam for any of my upcoming teams. I think the dude is going to be an electric scorer. And I think that if Beal is out of Washington, 
he could put up some massive numbers quickly. The dude is just an utter bucket. I agree with you. Washington's a weird spot. I like this pick. He's one of the high upside best guys available. Now we are into the thunder stretch of the draft for me, picking 16th. I'm still in best player available mode for them. And there's a few candidates here. Generally, I am in favor of big swings on probably wings. A big would be great if that guy was here. I don't think that he is, though, whatsoever. So I'm going to take Josh Giddy here. I think that you can look at him and say anywhere, okay, how is that fit going to be long-term if he doesn't figure out the shot? Fair enough. But as I've said, given the potential of Shea to thrive in multiple roles, I think that if you're going to put a guy alongside him who can push and transition, make great decisions there out of the half court, can really set up his teammates effectively. If he is a respectable pick and roll ball handler, can just make some unbelievable passes there. All he's got to do is figure out the shot, which there's work to be done, but it is possible and then figure out a way to be competitive defensively. And I think you have a really, really, really good basketball player with some really interesting tools at 6'8". So I just think he's probably the best guy on the board. He's very intriguing. And alongside Kaminga, it's interesting. They both need to figure out how to shoot it or else this is going to be very ugly very fast. I talked about my concern of taking more Thunder Wings who couldn't shoot. And as of today, I have two Thunder Wings who could not prove that they could shoot added into the mix here. But I like the possible fit here. I think that the upside is still somewhat intriguing. And I'm still going to say that I'm something of a Josh Giddy guy. So got him going to the Thunder at 16. The upside is damn intriguing, and he was probably my next pick for the Pelicans uh, with the impending free agency of Lonzo Ball. Um, you know, you just want a guy who can uh, potentially run an offense. So, with that being said, uh, now the Pelicans, I guess, lead guard is maybe looking like Kyra Lewis Jr. I'm not, I don't hate that, but it does open up a guard spot here in this rotation, and I think there are three guards that I'm very high on at this point in the draft. Uh, my guy, Trey Mann, I don't know if he's as pro-ready as these guys, but he's got that dirty change of pace, that floater. He's, I love Trey Mann. He might be my pick here. I also like Miles McBride. He competes on defense. He's super athletic. I got a little bit of a step back game. And Gabe's boy. I like Josh Primo too. I have got all three of these guys are three guards in the middle of the draft that I think can compete and contend in a rotation from day one. But, like I said, I'm going to go with the guy that I have the most faith in here is the GM. I love Trey, man. I think he has got, I think he's my favorite point guard after, like, my favorite guard after book night, uh, to be completely honest, upside-wise. Like I said, he's dirty in the mid-range. I love him off screens. He's got nice change of pace, and I think he's got major upside. So, Trey, man, is my guy to the Pelicans, and I think day one, he's probably off the bench running the offense, but... Um, I can very well see this guy running the show in New Orleans uh, in a very short time. Love it. I think that that's a home run. And I'm still a believer in Kyra, but I think that Trey is just a bucket, man. And as I said on last podcast, we'll see if he can really run an offense, be that primary facilitator as well. But the dude is going to score the basketball. And I guess the Pelicans already have a couple guys who can score one-on-one. -on -one, and so facilitating is a primary concern there. But I think he's certainly one of the highest upside players on the board. And I think it's a good pick. Oh, and he's going to have guys that I was just going to say who, <laughs> if he can't facilitate at New Orleans, he can't facilitate anywhere, bro. You got B.I. and Zion to throw lobs to. You better run your assists up. Yeah. All right. So I'm back to the Thunder here. Picking 18th, 
I still want to go best player available. There's a few guys on my mind. Franz Wagner still hasn't gone. This is completely unrealistic. He's going to go in the lottery for sure, and we're sitting here at 18 now. I'll consider him. I'd consider Keon Johnson, who I really like. Do I want to add another non-shooting wing to Oklahoma City? A sick and twisted part of me kind of does. That would be pretty funny. And considering Jalen Johnson, another non-shooting wing, slash I guess he's also kind of a big man. This is a tough spot. I think that Primo's also an interesting candidate here because of the immediate shooting value you get from him, the kind of smooth scoring, the potential for even more growth there. This is tough because I've already taken two wings, Gideon Kaminga. I already have my lead guard. Again, I would love a big, if we were doing trades here, maybe I would trade back as the Thunder or something. I don't know, just to have a chance at that long-term center. This is tough. I think that I'm going to take Franz Wagner here because I think that he is the consensus best guy available at this point. I do think he gives you some of that Swiss Army knife value. I don't know. What am I doing? I just took three guys who are 6'8 plus to fill the wings. I don't know if I can reasonably do that. Changing my mind again, I am going to take Josh Primo here. Is he my favorite of these prospects? Probably not. I think that Jalen Johnson is a guy who I really do want to take a chance on. I just don't think I can do it in Oklahoma City given the gambles that I've already taken because I'm taking gambles. I'll take a little bit more of a sure thing in Josh Primo, I think, because of the shot, and I'll be happy enough with that at 18 for the Thunder. That's a good pick, and you know that Primo can uh, coexist alongside uh, a guy like uh, SGA, as can, I think, Giddy. Look at you taking two Joshes with your OKC picks. I respect it. Um, so I'm sorry, New York Knicks fans. You just got Franz Wagnered. Bam! Right there at 19. <laughs> um, if there's a franchise that's going to do it with him on the board, like you said, right now at this point in the draft, people are going to say he's the best player on the board. Um and the Knicks, I guess it's a position of need. They need a three here. I don't love Wagner's game. I think there are guys with more upside. Like, uh, I wanted to take Jalen Johnson. I'm not going to throw another R.J. Barrett into the R.J. Barrett-led Knicks. Um, I'm, I am I thought about, like, uh, Isaiah Todd as well, maybe. But mm. uh, I think he, honestly, like, athletically, skill set-wise, not maybe, like, shot selection – similar to like an Obi Toppin and just like how he plays right now. So I don't really think that works. Um, but yeah, we'll go best player available. I'm not in love with it, and I'd be low-key mad if I was a Knicks fan and ended up with Wagner. But uh, that's uh, that's what I'm going to do to you. Sorry, Knicks fans. That's tough. I would have loved Franz for my next pick, which is the Atlanta Hawks at 20. I think that for the Knicks, it's interesting because they probably want guys with long-term high ceilings. And I don't know that Franz is that guy. But you know what? If you're going to try to run it back and make another playoff run, then he's definitely a solid option. And it's really good value at 19. I don't think that you can complain about that if you're a Knicks fan. At 20, though, I'm going to take a bit of a gamble for the Atlanta Hawks. I'm going to take Jalen Johnson here because I think that if you're looking for a versatile quasi-big, he is probably the answer here. And if you have concerns about Clint Capella maintaining his value in the playoffs— Go ahead and give yourself a different look with Jalen Johnson. I think that Onyeka long-term is going to be that more versatile five for them. I don't think that Jalen Johnson is a five, but I do think he could be a really good four. And to me, this is pretty good value at 20 because he's a gamble. 
He's certainly not a sure thing, but he could be a really versatile weapon offensively as a role man, as a transition weapon, and I think has passing upside, has defensive upside. So I just think all around for the Hawks, there's not many points on this roster that you can look at and say, oh man, they need a ton of help there. Like I think they're very solid on the wings. They have good options there. At center, obviously, they have a guy who had a phenomenal season in Clint Capella. I do think they could probably use a point guard to replace Trey Young long-term, but I guess we'll get to that later. Logan, not even a reaction out of you. So I think that this is a pretty intuitive pick for them with a little bit of upside long-term. So I'll go Jalen Johnson to the Hawks at 20. No, that was funny. No, I think they should do it. They should probably pull the trigger on... Um, they should probably go get Usman Garuba. He'd be a perfect replacement for Trey. Um, yeah. I like the pick. I think that uh, rotation-wise, switching out with John Collins, uh, it's not bad. Like I like Johnson as an immediate rotation piece, and he does bring upside. Um, for the Knicks with my next pick, I'm sorry that uh, the Knicks' fate of their franchise has been put into my hands because uh, I think I may have fumbled the bag here. I'm going to take a guy who's uh, you know a long-term prospect who I don't think is really super ready right now. I'm going to take Isaiah Todd. Uh, I like his game long-term. He's a big guy who can create a shot star potential he's super athletic he's he's just a special guy like you don't see guys with this skill set at this height and uh at this point in the draft at 21 I don't think the Knicks would be mad at that like I again I think he's a little bit of a project I think the Knicks are going to need to work with him I don't think Tibbs should throw this kid into the fire immediately but he's got star potential and the Knicks are star for stars that's interesting I wonder how Knicks fans would feel about this draft you had a couple guys on the wings. I like Isaiah Todd. I think that 21 might be a little high. I would have loved to have him for the Rockets at 24. That was really a fit that I was thinking about. I got to figure out what I'll do for them now. But it's interesting. I was really between like uh, Isaiah Todd and Isaiah Jackson because I like him as well. I just mm -hmm. think Jackson is kind of like an... Uh, I think he's literally just Mitchell Robinson. I think they're the same player. Yeah. I agree. And I've been talking about not having the big there. Isaiah Jackson is the guy who most people would say, okay, once you're getting into the late teens, you can consider. I've seen him mocked in the lottery a couple times. I agree with you, though. I think he's generally a relatively simple big, and I think if there's a role for him in the league, I think that he'll probably be good at what he does. There are a couple spots in which I'd be interested by him, but not just yet. 22, man. I love how this board has played out for the LA Lakers. Oh my goodness, this is like a dream come true. You have two really pro-ready guards on the board here in Iodasunmu and Jared Butler. And that's exactly what the Lakers need. They need guys who can play now, who ideally can shoot, defend, and run the second unit. It's 100% between those two candidates to me. I'm not even going to consider anybody else, especially with Dennis Schroeder likely out the door because he wants $100 million, and that just is not justified by what he did this last year. What he did two years ago, sure, he was phenomenal. Not this last year. I'm going to take Io. I think he has a little more creation ability, both for himself off the bounce, and then also as a facilitator for others. I think that Jared is a guy who can definitely slide in alongside other good players because of the shot, and that's nice. I also think, though, Io can shoot it. Jared maybe is a more, he was a, maybe a more valuable defender at the college level, but I think that Io with his size has perhaps more pro upside there as well. So I'm going to go with Io. I think that this is a home run for the Lakers. One of my favorite picks of the draft. I think he's exactly what they need. I think he's going to be a good player no matter what in the NBA. And that is just going to 
lead Lakers fans to breathe a sigh of relief because Lord knows they need to have a good offseason to bounce back from the disappointing end in 2021. I love it. I think it's a perfect pick for him. Ayo can do just so many versatile things, and that's what they need. They need a lot of shooting too, but Ayo's a – he's the nerd sesh Swiss Army knife. What can I? What can we say? Um, we've got back-to-back Rockets picks now, Carson. Um, this is a – is an interesting spot. I want to go, even though this doesn't really make a whole lot of sense after taking Green with the second pick, I low-key want to go with Miles McBride just because he's my favorite player on the board. Um, I also want to go with Isaiah Jackson. Like I think that bench five spot is something that needs to be addressed. I'd like a little floor spacing like they had with Kelly Olenek, you know, when he was playing like DeMontis Sabonis out there this last season. I'm going to take I'm going to go with Isaiah Jackson, though. I think Jackson brings upside at the five spot. He's going to play hard defense on the interior. He's going to be a nice rim runner and uh, a guy who can set hard screens. I just think he's a guy who's ready to play now and long-term. Again, Christian Wood's contract is up in 2023. Uh, He's a guy that maybe long-term could be your option at that five spot. So, uh, Jackson, maybe the long-term pick-and-roll partner of Jalen Green here. Like the pick, I would have loved... Something of a prototypical 3 and D guy here for the Rockets just because I think, again, they have guys who can do bits of that and maybe a little bit more in like a K.J. Martin or Jay Sean Tate where K.J. has the outstanding athleticism. Jay Sean has the playmaking chops. But it would just be nice to have a really solid guy who can shoot that ball on the wings. I don't know if he's there at this point. I mean, I know we had like a second round grade on him. We talked about him last show. I'm really big on Herb Jones too. Do you think this is like way too early for him? I'm not going to take Herb here. I think there are too many tantalizing prospects in their own ways. I just don't know if they are ideal fits for Houston. I would have loved Josh Primo or Isaiah Todd here. They are both gone now. So I'm trying to think. I'm not going to take a huge gamble like a Sharif Cooper. I just don't think this is a spot where he's going to have that kind of touches to grow. Jared Butler is interesting, not high ceiling though. And uh, he's interesting. I don't know. He could kind of run point alongside Jalen Green and then also play off of him because of the shooting and defend at a high level. So that might be my pick here. Other than that, I'm thinking guys in this range like Springer, I don't know. I'm a little worried about the shot. I mean, there are things that he does that I really like. High effort, active defender, good athlete, where he can penetrate, he can play make there. I think I'm just going to go with my favorite guy on the board at this point, and that's Jared Butler. Even if with the Rockets, so much of it is about taking swings, I will throw out one more candidate here because if they're taking swings, then I think that Zaire Williams is a guy who you have to mention Neither of us, I don't think, are particularly high on him. He did not produce at the college level, but he's a pretty explosive athlete with some shot creation tools, some step backs and pull-ups, some pretty good playmaking instincts out of the pick and roll, tools to make a difference on defense. One year out of college, was a top high school recruit, and given the fact that you're picking in the late 20s here when you don't have that many foundational pieces maybe that makes a little bit more sense for them. Should I switch my pick for the third time in this draft? Again, away from a Baylor guard? Am I going to keep doing this to Baylor guards, breaking their hearts? It scares me because the shot is not a sure thing. I think I'm going to take Zaire Williams, though. Take a big swing if you're the Rockets. 
it's not going to be enough to just have Jalen Green as the dynamic creator on the wing. If you can get multiple guys who can score and facilitate and maybe defend as well, I think that that's a win. And I think some people will be surprised to see that Zaire has fallen this far because of the potential upside. I'm just not all that high on it happening. But at 24, I think you can bet on it. I don't know. I like the pick, uh, especially for a team like Houston where you're just kind of throwing the kitchen sink at this point and seeing what works. You have now made my next selection for the Los Angeles Clippers really interesting, Carson. I was fully committed after you were going to take Jared Butler to going with my man Dayron Sharp. I've seen him mocked late first, sometimes second round. I think he works, and I think he's like what uh, the Clippers really need. I think they need another bench big man because Serge could barely stay on the floor. Like Daniel Oturu, I haven't heard a whole lot out of him. Um, and Zubac just is a middling big man. Um I was going to take Dayron. Now you have made this interesting because I wonder if... I like they already... They're going to try to bring back Reggie Jackson. If Pat Bev on the roster, Luke Kennard. I just wonder if Jared Butler is a more valuable asset to a playoff roster than Dayron Sharp. And that is what I'm debating right now. Oh, Butler does so many good things. Plays three... I'm going with Jared Butler. I can't. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna try to talk my way out of this. He can run a pick and roll. He can knock down an open catch and shoot jumper. He plays hard defense. He's the perfect piece for this Clippers. It's like the Lakers pick with you going with Ao. Uh, I think Butler makes too much sense. He is an invaluable asset to a playoff roster. So I'm gonna send him to the Clippers. Fantastic pick. I think for any win now team, Jared Butler is a top priority because he's just a mature, developed player who's going to fill his role at a high level. I would have loved him for the Denver Nuggets, who I'm picking for at 26, because I think that he, again, this is a win-now team. He could easily slide in as sort of a bench guard alongside Monte Morris. I think that he could possibly even start for this team. I think that he's going to be that good off the, off the bat. He is not here any longer, though. So I think another creator here would be nice, especially with some of the questions about Jamal Murray, this guy can shoot the ball. He totally is going to give me defensive value as well. It's one of the key attributes to him as a player. I'm going to take Deuce McBride here. And I know that you've said you're a fan of him. The dude is just a smooth, confident shooter off the bounce. He's got a really nice handle. He's got the step backs. He's got the jabs. Beautiful mid-range game, which by the way, is particularly perfect for playing with Nikola Jokic because those are the shots you get a ton. Look at the diet for Jamal Murray and Monte Morris. That's what they drift into. That's fantastic. I do think he was very efficient off the catch, and so there's potential for him to be fine there. Solid playmaker, plus defender all around. I think this is a great pick. I think after Jared Butler, it's probably the best option for them. That's a perfect pick. This might be one of my favorite in the draft. I mean... That's all you need to throw at if you're Denver to add to Jokic. Just bring ball-handling guards who can shoot a little bit. Um, completely unrealistic now that we're here at pick 27 um, and that this man's still on the board. The only team that I think he maybe makes sense for, uh, I'm going to send Usman Garuba to the <laughs> Nets. Yeah. I mean, what other team? I mean, like, what other team does it make more sense for? They need a Giannis stopper potentially. This guy, kid, 6'8", 230, plays hard defense, is a really good rebounder. Um I'm going to be honest, like, I think he works here just because, again, they need defense. They were one of the worst teams in that respect last season, and they've got three of the best isolation scorers in league history. The only thing, I'm going to be honest, bro, I watched him against uh, Team USA the other day uh, in the Spain exhibition match. I see a lot of Pat Bev defense out there, bro, where he's getting his hand up and barely contesting stuff at... 
I think that his defense, how he has been heralded as the best defensive player in this class, I think it's a little exaggerated. I I don't like his game, but if there's a spot where it works, where you need defense and rebounding, it's in Brooklyn, so let's sound into a spot where it's logical. I just, I'm not a big fan of his game. I agree, though. Another rotational big who can defend at a high level. I think if this is a logical spot for Usman, am I going to like him more than Nick Claxton? I don't know necessarily, but I think that Regardless if you think he's the best defender in this class, which I maybe don't either, I do think he's a really good defensive prospect. Offensively, we talked about it. It's going to be hard for him to find a role. There's major work to be done there. But, you know, the Nets don't need offense as much as they need defense, obviously. They were the best offense ever last year, even with centers who were not impacting the game there. And if he can just be a good role man, if he can sit in the dunker spot, then I think that he'll be fine enough here. So I like this pick. Okay, 28 here. Now, obviously, we're drafting for contenders. And it's the Philadelphia 76ers. This is interesting. I would have liked Deuce McBride here for them. I'm thinking about two guys, really, because I think that what you want for them is more shot creators, more shooting, or maybe more depth from your bigs. I'm going to go Sharif Cooper here. I think that It's a little bit remarkable he's slid this far. I don't think it's going to happen, but also I could see it because of what I said on our last podcast where I do see a star ceiling for him, but also if things don't work out, I don't know if I want him on my team. However, I will say if you're picking 28, worst case scenario to me, you're getting a bench point guard here, a guy who can command the game and stretches there, and I think that you're fine with that. Best case scenario You are getting a guy who can actually be that dynamic perimeter creator that your team has been missing. And I just think if you're the Sixers, that's what you take swings on. Especially now that you have shored up the shooting on the wings with Seth Curry, Danny Green, what they were able to do there this year. I mean, you could always add more of it. And I think they should continue to try to as they did last year. But first round, with a guy like Sharif on the board, give me a little bit of the bigger swing. And I like this for them. I mean, I don't think you can expect him to be that star guy but there's a world in which it could happen with a lot of work. And for them, I like that gamble. Yeah, I think maybe a guy like Jaden Springer would make sense here. I like his game uh, athletically and how he collapses defenses, uh, just the force he gets downhill with. Um, I also like Bones Highland a little bit from VCU. To me, his frame's a little smaller, and I... He's not as quick as some of these other guys, so I don't think he's like quite the isolation bucket that they need. I love the Cooper pick, though. He can run an offense. At the 29th spot, I love it. I love what uh, has fallen into place for the Phoenix Suns. I griped on it all season long about the one spot that they needed, a bench five. I'm going to send my boy Dayron Sharp to the Phoenix Suns at 29. Uh, I think it makes too much sense. At, I said at the... At his minimum, he is a two-way rotational big that is going to give you big minutes off rip. That's what he's going to do from day one, I think, in this rotation in Phoenix if this happens. And I love his upside. Like, I'm not saying that he's ever going to replace DeAndre Ayton or anything, but uh, I love it. I think this is a perfect landing spot for this kid. I love that, man. I mean, that is clearly the glaring need on this Phoenix roster. And uh, I don't love Dayron quite as much as you do. I'm worried about the lack of a shot. But at the end of the day, at 29, you're getting a high effort, high energy big man who's going to kill it on the glass, who's going to compete defensively with some good passing instincts on the offensive end. I think that that's a win for the Suns. There's not really any other holes they need to fill. Like, they're good on the wings. They have their star backcourt. Get them that rotational big. And with the last pick of the first round, 
for the Utah Jazz. I just love how this played out. Give me Bones Highland, baby. Give me Bones. I am really interested in what Bones can do. First of all, best name in the draft, no doubt. Born to Sean, but now goes by Bones, which is just way cooler. 6'4 with a 6'9 wingspan. Electric three-point shooter off the bounce. The step-backs just come easy to him. Weaves, changes paces, sol- changes pace at a solid level. Like, you're just getting a bucket. You're getting another shooter, another creator who you can throw into that rotation. And I don't mind ever adding more offensive punch. I don't know. He can take the Georges Yang minutes. I think that that's all you really need to say about it. That's an upgrade to a Utah rotation that's already so strong. And he could be more than that, man. He could be the next Jordan Clarkson down the road. Like, I think if you put him in a role where it's just about getting buckets, knocking down shots, I think that he can do some really good things there. So, I love how this played out, Logan. I thought that this was generally a very enjoyable mock draft. Was there a favorite pick for you, a team that you thought came out of this best? Okay, I mean, if we're knocking him down, the Nuggets pick at McBride, uh, I love that one. Uh, I love... I like the Cam Thomas pick that I made for the Wizards. Yeah. The best pick, though, I'd have to say, I think my favorite pick in this draft is Kai Jones to the Grizzlies at 10. I mean, there to me, is there's no more desperate, uh, like you said, no more desperate team for star for stars, and Kai certainly has that potential. That makes me feel good, Logan, because I was conflicted about that pick. Do I think the Grizzlies will do that? Probably not. Kai is not going at 10 in most places, but some teams are almost certainly higher on him than others because of just the variability in his game. And so maybe it is possible, but either way, that's what I would do. So there you have it. I'm not going to read out every pick to you because there was 30 of them, but you should remember every exact pick if you were paying attention throughout this podcast and you're a good loyal nerd sesh fan. Uh, Last question for you, Carson. If this is how the mock goes, these are the players that go, who's your favorite player on the board for round two? Great question. I think that Jaden Springer is probably the guy to me. I feel like he is the general consensus first-round guy who got left out and was thought of much more highly at various points in the draft prospect. Wait. Nobody took Keon Johnson? (laughs) No. Okay. Well, it's definitely Keon Johnson then. I feel like we might have screwed up there. I I like Keon Johnson. I think that he does a lot of things really well. Like, if you're talking about the Tennessee backcourt there with him and Springer, that dude plays basketball the right way, should be a really good defender, aggressive, competitive, good cutter, explosive athlete, good on the offensive glass, has a ton of tools. I really just worry about the shot with him. I feel like my mind just blanked on me there. Interesting. I just... I don't know, man. Yeah, he does a lot of things right, and he's super explosive and athletic. I just don't like the the three point percentage. I don't know if the shot translates. And then I just I don't think he's a he's not a playmaking guard. And I don't know, mm-hmm. like he's I'm not as big a Keon Johnson guy. Do you think like is there a landing spot that you think we should have sent him to in this draft? Like I'm looking at my own picks. I think he could have gone to Atlanta at 20. I think could have gone to the Rockets at 24. I considered him, I think, at 18 for the Thunder. Wish I could redo that. I'll be honest. But you know what? It is what it is. My brain went blank. So deal with it, people. All right. Well, that will do it for us here today. This was a ton of fun as we approach the NBA draft just two days away. 
If you want to stay tuned to what we think throughout that process, here's some of our takeaways the day after. You know where to find us on YouTube. Nerd Sesh is the name. You can follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Listen to us only in audio content. Wherever you get your audio content. On social media, you can find us on Twitter at nerd underscore sesh, on Instagram at nerd sesh, and on TikTok at nerd sesh as well, where we are starting to really crank out some more content. With that, as always, I've been Carson Brabber. I've been Logan Camden. And this was Nerd Sesh. Nerd Sesh.